You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Hey, Crime Writers On fans and S-Town fans, how about tuning into a podcast where there's some real in-depth discussion of stories? What is this, 1990 that came out? He is sporting a jerry curl that could make Lionel <laughs> Richie jealous. Be sure to check out These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast. My one disappointment with this episode was that there wasn't a good iced tea looks like. <laughs> right. or what do you mean by that? Well, a good SVU is like, looks like the captain went down with the shit. <laughs> Each episode, we look at a case from SVU, Criminal Intent, or Original Recipe, and talk about the real-life, ripped-from-the-headline stories that inspired the episodes. The way they're directed to just be like, someone was sexually assaulted? (laughs) (laughs) You are the lieutenant in charge of this division. Go to iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to These Other Stories right now. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers on S-Town, Episode 1. That's right, we've returned to our roots, and we'll be covering the serial spinoff S-Town chapter by chapter. In this episode, we'll discuss the first installment of S-Town, and in our episode next week, we'll break down S-Town episodes 5, 6, and 7. Joining me right now is my true crime co-author and real-life husband, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Howdy. Also joining us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, and licensed PI, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hola. Also joining us is dystopian noir novelist and always confident contrarian, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Y'all doing okay? We're doing <laughs> just fine. <laughs> Laura took his hola, so he had nothing else to say. <laughs> this is a little you're bit supposed of- to, You're supposed to say... Doing fine. (laughs) (laughs) This is a little bit of a different um, element for us. Normally we don't record on, you know, a special episode during the week. So we're cutting out all the chit chat so we can get right to it. But I just want to get a little bit of business out of the way. Uh, First off, a lot of people are pissed that we're only going to be talking about episode one. But we've all only listened to episode one so far, right? We decided a long time ago we would listen to episode one. Has anybody been spoiled episode two yet? I Uh, sure haven't. I was very tempted and I actually had to go find something else to do because I was just going to keep listening. So, All right. No. All right. Well, listeners who listen to episode two, if we sound really stupid in this episode, we apologize. It's but like big little lies. There's so many people who know the actual killer and we're just like, <laughs> you just got to stick with us. I, we promise <laughs> to add value. That's what happened to me this week, Kevin. Because yeah, no. we're on the second to last episode and I finally couldn't take it anymore and I, I went on Wikipedia. Yes, I did. Yes. Yeah, I was like, but I was right. My theory was right, so I feel okay now. Yeah, but I also need to wonder why Nicole Kidman cannot say an entire sentence in an American accent. That's another mystery. All right. Uh, <laughs> the Scientologist. <laughs> anyway. On them. Um, so another decision we need to make right now, two seconds into our S-Town review episodes, um, right away we learn that the podcast is actually called Shit Town. It's not that actually gr- called S-Town. That, I was going to say, that was a great kick. <laughs> right off the top. Finally, they get to that and say, it's almost as powerful as this is Crime Town. Welcome no, to No, it's shit way town. more powerful. Yeah. <laughs> this is Shit Town. And all this time we've been calling it S Town and that was like the, the first great reveal. Yeah. yeah. So can we all agree that we can use the terms interchangeably in this podcast and we don't need to bleep it because if someone's listening to Shit Town and, and listening to us, like they're already hearing the word Shit Town, right? Yeah. All right. Good. Decision made. I'm uncomfortable with that. <laughs> I might call it Poop Town. I don't know. Cockaville. Poop Town. 
Poopy's Corners. <laughs> oh, that's good. That sounds right. East Turd Falls. <laughs> All right. So um, I want to start with the premise of the podcast. Host Brian Reed begins with the fact that John, who is the person who drew him into this Alabama story in S-Town, contacted him basically via email in his newsroom. Now, we have two current journalists and two former journalists in this panel, and I just want to just take a quick poll. How many of you, uh, I guess we'll have to do a round robin here, have gotten tips from someone in their newsroom via email continuously and they were crazy. Kevin, you? Oh, like crazy email yeah, tips? Yeah, like, like oh, John's email tips. Yeah. All the time. And still. <laughs> uh, Laura, how about you? Oh, yeah. And and I still, like I said, I still get them. And sometimes I've had people actually find my home phone number and call me with like their crazy conspiracy theories. Um, so, yes. Toby, in your work as a journalist, did you uh, ever get crazy tips from readers? Yeah, I didn't interact with the public as much. But occasionally, like somebody running for Congress would have some... <laughs> Some pretty far out ideas, <laughs> which they wanted to let me know all about. All right. So, Kevin, what would make you respond to someone like John after getting emails from him over a period of time where he basically claims the police are corrupt in his town? He claims that there's been a murder that everyone knows about that's been covered up. And you get these over and over again and you, and you get them from a lot of people and you think, and I have the same experience this person is nuts or there's nothing here or I don't even want to interact with them. So I'm not going to respond. What would make you cross the line like Brian Reed did in this episode? I don't know. There, there, there is always that intangible thing that grabs you that makes you a want to open the email. You know, there would have to be something that to convince me that the guy wasn't a crackpot. Right. And he explained. And as a PR guy, this is a really important lesson. The email subject line was the thing that hooked Brian, mm-hmm. or at least got him to open it and really pay attention to it. Was the email subject line like John Macklemore in shit town or something like that? Yeah, it was. I forget <laughs> what he, he said what it was, but it was. I was like, oh, boom, yeah. Yeah, you don't want the email subject line to be tip from Exeter. <laughs> <laughs> Big story. You'll be upset if you miss. You know? Why aren't you covering this? Yeah, <laughs> By the way, people who are sending tips at our local news outlet, why aren't you covering this is not how you want to open your email. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. there are about a thousand reasons why you're not, and you're not going to be able to um, explain them all. So, Laura, Brian Reed, you know, we're introduced to him at the beginning of this episode. We don't get any kind of like official handing off the torch from Sarah Koenig to Brian Reed. Of course, this is a spinoff. Uh, not, it's not serial season three. But, you know, we've heard another podcast where a spinoff is very consciously like I did the last one. Now you're doing this one. He just begins the story right away. What mm-hmm. do you think of Brian as a guide slash narrator for S-Town? Well, so far, you know, I like him and he definitely, like you said, he's unassuming, but kind of what I've picked up on as I've listened to this episode is there are certain things as I'm listening to some of the tales of the people that are involved, the KKK family, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to go down there. And he, he admitted like some of the things that he was apprehensive about. So I, I definitely could relate to that because I was thinking, oh my God, this guy's going to get like dumped in a barrel somewhere if he keeps <laughs> this up, you know? Um but but I also um, I have to say I, I enjoyed when he was in the clock shed with the uh, tattooed shirtless man um, and John and they were doing shots of like it was like wild turkey or something wild and he turkey. actually admitted that he did a shot and I was like yeah that's kind of cool okay I like that <laughs> um, so I think he's like understated 
But I think what I'm sensing from kind of what he's done so far, he'll kind of roll with anything. Yeah, I feel the same way. Kevin, what do you think of Brian Reed as our guy through this story? I was just shaking my head a second ago because I do think there was a handoff. Sarah did. She planted her flag by doing the, the pre-roll. Intro. Yeah. And they have been doing this on the serial feed. They had like a three-minute sit-down Ira Glass and uh, Brian talking about this. I know that's extra texture. But Ira but... Glass used to do the pre-roll for Serial. He used to say previously on Serial. That was always Ira Glass kind of doing right. that symbolic that's the handoff. pass off. Yeah. That's the handoff. But, but there was it's no... Different, it's different than what happened with Breakdown right. Season 3 where they handed off. There was really very little handoff from, from Bill Rankin to uh, to Johnny Edwards. So you but like, do you like Brian digress. Reed? Yeah, I do. I do. And I think this very much sounds like it doesn't sound like Serial to me, it does sound like an extended episode of This American Life. So far. I, bl- I agree so with far, you. So far, yeah. I actually have other opinions, too, which we'll get to. Toby, what were which your- is a good thing, by the way. <laughs> what were your first impressions of the podcast when we first heard Brian Reed kind of going into it? Of course, we had heard that clock narration before in the trailer, but then he kind of gets into the story and sets it up. Do you feel like we're in good hands with Brian Reed for this season of S-Town? Uh, once we got through the, the whole clock thing, which... Nobody should ever do anything like that again. <laughs> Why is that? It's like, the well, the clock and clockmakers as metaphor, that's been done to death. And I, I was cringing the whole time. But once he got past that, I thought I thought he was good. Remember how you said, like, uh, you listened to the trailer and it crapped out on you? Yeah. That was everything that you missed. <laughs> yeah. You should have complained last week. But I think it comes around later in the episode. Because later in the episode, Brian Reed describes to us the setting for the clockmaker's shop. And the way he explains it, the beginning of the episode, you expect it to be this very refined, old world craft. And it's really just guys getting drunk in a barn somewhere. That's that's no excuse. <laughs> I, can, I can get behind that. I mean, that's he the liter- cause I can get behind. He literally is a clockmaker, so why not use that? Yeah, yeah. So one of the things this story does in the first episode is it breaks a long-held rule of audio storytelling, which, Kevin, you can probably explain a little bit more, which is that we had a phone call. Basically, his first contact with John, Brian Reed's first contact with John, his source for this story. Mm-hmm. And we hear almost 10 minutes of just real time. I'm sure it's edited for cleanness Uh because I'd be surprised if it wasn't. But who who knows? Maybe it wasn't. We hear what sounds like 10 minutes of unedited phone conversation. That is a rule-breaking convention, right? Right. What do you think when you were hearing that? Right, And and you're right. It actually did go on after there was like a bit of a break and then it kept on going. Um, Yeah, that that segment was really 20 minutes long. Yeah. Uh, It is unconventional. And I know this is where a lot of people tuned out. This is what we heard. It lost a lot of people in this long section because it's just the two of them talking. I think you said, this really should be boring, but it isn't. Oh, I loved it. Because of what he was saying. There were a couple of little parts there where I would have I've cut, but there's so many like high points about this guy's personality, and he's this- His intelligence. His intelligence. His manner of speech. Um, the his fact, digressions. The fact that he sees Wait, hold on himself, a second. I need to take, take a Tom's real quick. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> the, the fact that uh, you know he, he compares his life in Shittown as being in Fallujah. And why aren't there people like leaving Fallujah? He he is sort of a redneck Aristotle. Mm. He does sound kind of like a Renaissance man, very worldly, which I think a lot of this is character development, right? Because then we go down and meet him. But it was narratively convention breaking. Toby, how did you feel when you were first listening to the episode and you got through the part you didn't like <laughs> about the clock description? And then we listened to basically a 20 minute phone call. What did you think during this part of episode one? I liked it. You know, I... I... Uh, I'm a little concerned that John is 
you know, he certainly puts himself forward as being like a redneck Aristotle. But I, I think th- I, th- there's a lot of bluster there. Mm-hmm. But he's engaging. And I think it does. And who knows what's going to be going on down the line. But if the idea is we're kind of looking through his eyes at what's going on in this town, it probably makes sense to get a good sense of who he is because he certainly is unconventional. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like he sort of like read Confederacy of Dunces and then like some James Lee Burke novels and like kind of wrapped himself into those kinds of characters, mm-hmm. which I think is, you know, if you're a journalist doing this kind of piece, that's pretty attractive. But is that like who he really is? I don't know. Well, most people don't have the coordinates to their home and the GPS memorized <laughs> the way that John does. <laughs> uh, Laura, I'm interested to know what you thought of this part of the episode. And what did you think of when we were first introduced to John? You know, we hear about his his, his incredible vocabulary, by the way, which uh, Brian Reed is adorably admits that he has to look the words up, you know, the, the proleptic decay and decrepitude sort of section there. I would love to know what you were thinking about John, because I know that you are really kind of sucked in by characters like this when you hear them. And the storytelling convention where we just heard this long phone call. Well, you know, I, I actually, it's funny, I was listening to it with my husband, and I can usually never get him to listen to anything. And he goes, boy, this guy's quite a talker. And um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know what? He's like full of shit town. Like, I, I started to kind of feel like, is this guy just such a smooth talker that this entire story is shit like mm-hmm. not even true but at the same time what i was thinking of as i was listening to this was it reminded me a lot of the relationship character in uh midnight in the garden of good and evil mm-hmm. kind of another southern gothic kind of story um where john barrett who was a magazine writer goes down to new orleans um or no savannah i'm sorry and encounters a character you know kind of like john who's this very charismatic um articulate character but there's a lot of weird side characters and things going on and you're not really ever quite sure what's true and what's not true right, right. and so i'm kind of hoping so for some like voodoo in the graveyard or something <laughs> um but you know i i think that the character is i think that's what this is actually about I actually think that is what got Brian Reed to respond. I think that maybe this began as, you know, Brian Reed is receiving all these emails. And if he writes anything like he talks, at some point, you know, working at This American Life, Brian Reed may have thought, this is maybe just someone I should talk to. There might be something here. He might be a character in some future story of some kind. Maybe he didn't realize it would it would go down this particular path and become this, you know, seven episode probably listened to by millions and millions of people podcast. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that really struck me as I was listening to this long narrative is, remember we were listening to Mystery Show by Starly Kine a couple of years ago mm-hmm. when she was at Gimlet, and she's a story consultant on this podcast, which is something that I'd read a few months ago and that somehow got conflated in the British press to me saying that like that was definitely true that she was going to be hosting this podcast that was just speculation by the way (laughs) but that long phone call sounded like mystery show to me that's what she would do on that show is she would have the entirety of her conversation with somebody sort of laid bare for you Mm -hmm. to make your own decisions remember when she called Ticketmaster and talked to that guy for like 12 minutes about his you know, his life and his mm-hmm. disappointments. I felt like that felt like her fingerprints, like let the layers unfold. Kind of felt like more like Phil Spector messing around with the Let It Be album. But. Maybe, maybe. But it also felt like we were being set up with a really interesting and unreliable narrator. Not Brian, John. Mm-hmm. Right, Kevin? Yeah. Yeah, John as an unreliable narrator is an interesting point because even at, at some point, Brian says, is this guy fucking with me? Mm-hmm. Which I thought was really 
I thought it was really great because then as the listener, you wonder, Brian, are you fucking with me? <laughs> right? Is Because, you know, where is this story going? Up until that point, my only, like, real criticism with episode one is that nothing happens. Mm-hmm. And I understand from, you know, on Reddit, the people are squealing about episode two being really great. It's like, it's too bad, like, you couldn't have thrown in a good cliffhanger here to really reel us in. Great. He's an interesting character. I'm getting the symbolism. And, you know, like Elvis said, I'd like a a little less conversation, a little more action, please. So, Rebecca, yes, Kevin. our podcast about a podcast from another podcast mm-hmm. is sponsored this week by a podcast. That's as meta as it gets. Just about. Uh, we're brought to you by Serial Killers. Serial Killers takes a psychological and entertaining approach with the goal of providing a rare glimpse into the mind, methods, and madness of the most notorious serial killers in an effort to better understand their psychological profile. Hmm. This comes from our friends over at ParCast, mm-hmm. and I had a nice long phone call with them. I really like these guys. They're doing something different with serial killers. They're basically taking you know, your traditional historical investigation of some cold cases and some cases that you know, but they also have a production team of screenwriters and voice actors and sound designers that really give it a special sound all of its own. Right. And it's rocketing up the charts. So the people have spoken. They like serial killers. OTR, old time radio. Yeah. So you can listen to the podcast by going to parcast.com slash serial. That's spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com slash serial. That's where they are. You can visit iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast directory and search for serial killers. Again, that's serial killers or visit parcast.com slash serial to start listening now. Well, I do want to talk about the setting of small town Alabama. Now, the real town is Woodstock, mm-hmm. Alabama, a.k.a. shit down. Sorry, Woodstock, Alabama Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> <laughs> Your town has been officially rebranded, I think, probably, right? People come for the maze. I got an email today from a listener named Jessica who says, I've grown up in Alabama. I lived in rural Alabama for eight years. I now live in Birmingham because I cannot stomach small town Alabama drama. This podcast brings up so much, even the man's voice is causing too much to rise up in me. Truth. Is he telling the truth about small town Alabama? Yes. Darn it. Don't hate Alabama. There are a few good ones left. Thanks for that, Jessica. Now, I want to turn to our resident Alabama expert on the panel, Toby Ball. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have in-laws in Alabama, correct? Yep. Does what you heard on S-Town Episode 1 jive in any way with any of your experiences that you had in the many times that you visited Alabama? Yeah, it does some. I mean, part of it's a southern thing. Part of it, I think, is a small town thing where people know each other's business. And, And some of it, I think, is also a very poor small town thing where there's police corruption, people with Money, you know, albeit, you know, I don't know how much money it takes to be wealthy in that town. The public knows a lot about what's going on, and it's not clear whether the police know or not. Some things kind of slide. Mm -hmm. I know what you're talking about. You are talking about small town dynamics mixed with southern dynamics, I think, right? Yeah. So I'll just give you an example, which was when I was down in Alabama, maybe the last time or two times ago, there was a story in the news about a retired doctor and there's a home invasion and he'd been like tied up and I think maybe beaten up a little bit and people were freaking out about it. 
And I was talking to this guy I know, and he's like, oh, that guy deals pills out of his house. There's just some guys knocking over a drug dealer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So, it, you know, it's that kind of thing, which, which I can, you know, you can totally see taking place in Woodstock, right? Right, right, yeah. I mean, one of the things that I kept thinking about, uh, well, first of all, KKK, K3 Lumber. Oh, Jesus Like, that's Christ. all code for clan stuff. Am I am I crazy to think that that cannot be unintentional? I don't know if it's code, but it's definitely, because <laughs> the four brothers, they all have Yes. K's in their name. K3 they, they was a lot better. They could have named it like Jones Family Lumber or whatever. <laughs> they could they have. have to call it KKK. Well, <laughs> well I think, it, what is it? The, the store is K3. K3. And the lumber yard is, is KKK. KKK. It yes. was like, hey, branding, dude. Really? <laughs> I think it's an. I Even think if it's, you're in the KKK? I, I, think, you? <laughs> I think from the tiny bit we learn about, you know, the alleged bad guy in the story in his Facebook page. I don't think it's a stretch that this is a culture where perhaps oh, yeah, I forgot that, yeah, that yeah. is a on-purpose branding yeah. thing. Um, anyway, so we do hear about this alleged crime. You know, John tells the story when Brian first goes down to Alabama and also over the phone about how some kids working in his yard planting some bushes were tweeting to their girlfriends and boyfriends and also talking amongst themselves and he overheard that this kid Kabram Burr who's the son of a prominent local family who brands everything KKK allegedly killed another kid Dylan Nichols by kicking him in the head during what sounds like an unfair fight listening to John's allegations you know his hearsay allegations about this other kid Laura, all I could think the whole time is there's got to be some due diligence journalism to follow this up, right? Yeah, because I was, you know, right in the beginning when he comes right out and says the name of the person who allegedly killed this kid and the kid's name, I'm like, whoa. Okay, so then I'm, but I'm like, no, he must have come across information during the course of his reporting where he at least found Dylan Nichols dead or alive, or, you know, there must have been something that made it possible because you couldn't, you know, just come out and use this person's name in such an inflammatory way without something there so that you're legally not going to be sued for saying this because this is um, a pretty wild accusation. Right. And I just kept thinking, Kevin, I know that we talked a lot about our mixed feelings about them dropping seven episodes at once. But doesn't this solve that I, problem? I was just going to say, if this were serial... After episode one, everybody would Google this and everybody would know the right, story. Right. Nobody knows this story, which is why we can savor the next six episodes. Right. But all the episodes are out. So it's not like the public can well, yeah, ruin no one it. Can spoil it. <laughs> I mean, we can spoil it for each and other. And it's also not like anyone can say that the due diligence wasn't there because it's all been published. Even if we haven't heard it yet, doesn't mean it's yeah. not. Whatever Laura's concern is, I'm sure by the time they wrap up seven, it'll be made clear mm -hmm. as to why things went like that. But. Now, one of the things that surprises me about John, and I think this is something that we can probably relate to given the books that we've written, is that John seems game to stir up the pot in his small town. You know, he's unhappy. He writes all these mm -hmm. emails. He talks about being depressed. He talks about the high school he went to being called Auschwitz, which was like, whoa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, that he really has had enough. Like, he's nonplussed in the correct use of the word. And he is game for Brian Reed to come to Alabama and stir up some shit in his little shit town. That is a big deal when you live in a small town. Right, Kevin? Yeah, and I think that speaks to why, at first, Brian is laying low and not just 
yeah, I've been here for for an hour, and now I'm going down to the sheriff's office mm-hmm. or the police station and knocking on the door. So we're going to start at the library and and whatnot. And I want to talk to Luke. And where is Luke? And I can see why why he's slow walking it at first because you don't want to lose the advantage of surprise. Yeah, I mean we we we've reported on slipper. crime stories in a small town, and it can be mm-hmm. kind of scary. I tell you, that's what I did. I went to not a, a terribly small town in Alabama, but. You know, being a northerner and I had to, you know, try to get interviews with people, I felt not it could just be coincidence. It could be in my head. But I did feel like vulnerable. No, I was perceived as an outsider. You were Maybe that city slicker from up north. And, and I would not. And it's an obstacle to getting your story written. Now, Toby, this is actually in response to a tweet we got from our listener about this idea of like this northern New York based reporter doing sort of a, um, I don't know, like a culture study <laughs> on a small southern town. And, you know, the, the tweet that he sent was like, it makes me like a little bit of uncomfortable. It makes me feel a little bit weird, a little bit uncomfortable. Do you get that vibe when you hear stories like this, where like a New Yorker goes to a place and tries to describe it, tries to like sort of unravel the people on behalf of their audience? I don't know. You know, I think there's this assumption of like sort of cultural snobbery that the reporting is going to sort of inherently, you know, be kind of denigrating or condescending or whatever. I don't think it has to be that way. I don't think just the mere fact of a New Yorker going to small town Alabama and doing a story necessarily has to be bad. But in the same way, like if some newspaper reporter from rural Alabama went up to New York City to report a story, I mean, I don't think anybody would have any issues with that. It is easy to lampoon or make fun, I guess, but that's hopefully not what, what's going on here. I think that's oh. the key, Toby, is that sometimes it, it does get lampooned, and I think a lot of you know professional big city writers think that the most interesting thing about that town is that they're there to write the story. Right. The person who writes the story has to come from somewhere, mm-hmm. and it's good that it's somebody with fresh eyes, mm-hmm. because we don't live in shit town. Somebody has to be our guide. It sounds like Brian is going to be our guide, and the things that are surprising to him are going to be surprising to us. Hmm. I, I don't really get the sense of, like, there, there wasn't sort of... He doesn't it, seem to have any sort of, like, preconceived notions about Alabama. And giggling at, oh, they have only one traffic light. How cute they yeah, that kind of that kind of thing. <laughs> so um, there was a, a pretty um, real, inf- you know, I won't say infamous, but there was a, a case uh, that happened here in New Hampshire where two Dartmouth College professors were murdered, the and Zantops, it turned yeah. out the Zantops that the two boys that were later convicted for the murder were actually from the town in Vermont that I went to high school in, and it is a very small town. So it reminds me a lot of this story in the fact that it's a very small town. There's one store, a general store, like one gas station, no traffic lights type place. And so when you're talking about like the big city journalists going in, I mean, that's that's what happened. This was a very sensational case. All the big media descended on this little tiny town, kind of in the same vein of what I'm listening to here. You know, they're interviewing anybody they can find that will talk, but they're not familiar with like this guy that I found on the street corner by the payphone mm-hmm. is like the bullshit artist of the town right. type thing. <laughs> and, so and he's a source like, for them. And that's a source. And so they're quoting anybody. And so I, you know, when this happened, I'm watching this unfold and I'm thinking, this town is being so taken advantage of. And I actually ended up going as a reporter to cover this. But then I kind of got voted off the island in my little small town when I went up there. 
because then I was seen as the big city journalist you who were came betraying in. your town right I was I get voted out of the town meeting <laughs> well I literally did and I got voted they took a vote and um, then this one guy goes well I don't care I'll go buy her a drink across the street at the one bar in town you get voted out of uh, town meeting well actually I, I want to ask you a question wow. Laura because one of the things that we that we hear about shit town from Skyler who is the wife of the source mm-hmm. that Brian Reed is trying to meet when she finally remembers the story that uh, Brian is trying to uncover about this potential murder. She says to him, this town has a way of forgetting information and hiding information. Now, I think if you're not from a small town or if you haven't lived in one, that sounds like a crazy like conspiracy plot on a television show. But can you not believe it when you're actually from a town that small that that is actually possible? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like where I went to high school, we had a sheriff's department in the county. Okay, there were not police like that, you know, unless something exploded, there wasn't (laughs) going to be a police record of it, you know, so I can absolutely see how this would happen. Yeah, there's an infrastructure behind the obituary section and behind the coroner's reports and behind police reports. And that infrastructure isn't there or doesn't want to be there. That's a really interesting local newspaper, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> they covered a lot of great stuff. Yeah. There was chicken salad served at the birthday or at the luncheon. I liked that. That was a nice touch. Now I wanna just wrap up quickly, talk about the setting, because Brian does go to Alabama and he does go to John's house. And it sounds like kind of like Alice in Wonderland, like he's gone down the rabbit hole. Like that maze, and I've now seen pictures of it online, is actually Enormous, And that mm-hmm. property sounds like a labyrinth of weird stuff. It's almost like a museum of gothic American culture. Toby, when you hear about places like this and, and you hear about where John lives, does that add to what you thought of him as a character? Where does it sort of back up some of the things that you heard him say on the phone? Or does it cast more doubt in your mind that he might be unreliable because he lives such an unconventional life. I'd just love to know what you think about that setting. I don't want to like sort of say because he lives unconventionally, I don't think he's reliable. My sense is that he, for Brian, sort of exaggerates his eccentricities so that he seems like more of a character. But yeah, I mean, it, he, he's certainly like he's living it, you know, he's not just he's not just. <laughs> Playing the weird guy. I mean, he's living the he's, dream. He's, he's full on on it. He's got um, gates in the maze. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sixty-four different ways. Except there's this one way in which we can never get out again. Well, that's the I thing. Did I mention that while we were in here? But, that, but, that, but that's the one thing is that Brian is is talking about this stuff, and I think we as listeners are savvy enough to know that there's symbolism in all this imagery, and this is probably foreshadowing of some kind. But he is kind of pretending to be unaware of it. No. You don't Ryan? think he's pretending to be unaware? No, no he, he's actually explaining to the audience. You know, he's, he's, he, I think, even says he gets why the, uh, all the Southern Gothic uh, short stories are left out. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, he obviously understands the symbolism of the maze, mm-hmm. that we're getting into it, and I'm going through a labyrinth. And, oh, by the way, now that I'm in it, there actually happens to be a way where I can't get out. And he's actually literally in a maze. He's literally in a maze, yeah. <laughs> No symbolism there. But it's yeah. only waist high, so how can he knock it out? That's what I do not understand. Well, yeah, I think so he's far. embracing the symbolism. I don't think he's, he's ignoring no, no, it. But I, I almost feel like, I don't know, I, I want to say, like, I, I feel like he's embracing it too, but he's so casual about it. Oh, and, you're not hitting this over the head. But with that's him, this American lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. Right? There mm-hmm. isn't the 
one of my least favorite writing conventions that I hear in a lot of podcasts, including podcasts made by people I really, really like and know very well, is when they say, once again, let me tell you why this thing I just said is important. (laughs) That is something you will never hear on This American Life unless they said it 20 minutes ago and you need to be reminded because time has passed. They will never say to you, I just said this important thing. And now I'm telling you that thing I just said is important. That's what's so good about the writing of that show, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think we all agree that we've heard that episode two sort of takes this big turn and things really kind of take off. So for everybody like us who stopped (laughs) after episode one saying, I don't know if I'm going to stay with this, apparently... We really need to stay with And us. for those of you who are ahead of us and calling us suckers right now, we know. We know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I have one final question for you guys. I'll start with you, Laura. This episode of S-Town, let's go back to our old system. Use a letter grade, tell me what you think of it, and then tell me whether or not you're looking forward to hearing where this goes or if you're only listening because you have to for this podcast. Laura, what do you think? I'm going to go with A-. minus, And I think that this is, for a podcast, I mean, I think this is more like we're listening to a novel. And so it's not this. I don't think this is a true crime story. You know, the phone call, I I could see that as a detractor because it was so long. But I feel like we are getting this really interesting character development going on. And then the end, when the girlfriend came in, I was like, okay, I need to listen to the next episode. Um, (laughs) When Skylar came in and made that statement, I'm like, ooh, maybe this isn't all bullshit. (laughs) I will be listening. What about you, Toby? Letter grade, and would you listen to the next episode of S-Town if we weren't making you do so? <laughs> uh, yeah, I liked it. I guess I'd probably give it an A-, minus B plus. I mean, aside from that ridiculousness with the clock making, I thought it was really good. The, the phone conversation didn't phase me in the slightest. It seems like there's interesting stuff ahead. That being said, I've been disappointed before, so we'll see. <laughs> well, I'm going to also give it an A-, minus, only because I want to have a place to go. I mean, it was really good. I mean, it was really, really, really good. And we can quibble about whether or not the clock thing should have been in there. I actually liked it, Toby. Sorry, maybe I'm a little bit hackneyed, but I actually kind of liked the clock narrative, even though I'd already heard it. And I think that I felt set up for a story unlike any other story I'd heard before, and I'm really excited about that. And yes, I would definitely listen to this even if I didn't have a podcast about a podcast. What about you, Kevin? Oh, I'm giving it a solid B. I really like it. the character study. My criticism is that I I don't feel like there was enough action. Mm -hmm. And uh, certainly if... There are twists and turns ahead. Seems like they could have spared one. For but does se- that matter when all seven episodes drop at once? That's the different well, question, right? When you're writing a book, if you have to wait till chapter three or four before oh. something really grabs what your if attention. What happens in chapter two? Well, then a lot of people read chapter one and don't get to chapter two. Right. I think a lot of people are invested. I would just say, I wish something, there was a better cliffhanger than just... Skyler says, yeah, that's what happened. (laughs) All right. Well, we will return later this week to talk about those next chapters of S-Town. Episodes two, three, and four will be the focus of our podcast dropping at the end of the week. Listeners, if you want to email us your S-Town thoughts or even a voice memo, you can send it to crimewriterson at gmail.com. You can also tweet us your questions and comments. You can find us at crimewriterson, or you can post them on our Facebook page. Just search for us there. If you want to hear more of our reactions, 
reactions to S-Town in real time as we all listen, follow each of us on Twitter. Uh, Laura Bricker, can you remind our listeners of your Twitter handle, please? At Laura Bricker. And Toby, what is your Twitter handle? At TobyBallNH. And Kevin Flynn. I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at RebLavoy. And of course, refresh your feeds in a couple days to catch more Crime Writers on S-Town. On behalf of all the Crime Writers, we will catch you then. Next time on Crime Writers on S-Town. I'm shocked. I am totally blown away. Oh my bleepity bleep bleep. I do not know what I just listened to. Oh shit. What's going to happen next? This podcast was brought to you by Serial Killers. If you're listening to Crime Writers On, you might like the true crime podcast, Serial Killers. It's about the minds and methods of some of the most notorious serial killers in history, and it uses some of those old-time radio reenactment techniques to bring the stories to life. (laughs) Just like that, Kevin. So visit iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast directory and search for Serial Killers. Again, that's Serial Killers or visit parcast.com slash serial to start listening right now. That's parcast, P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com slash serial to listen to Serial Killers right now.